Gospel reading is Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to the end, and you can find that on page 941. It might be slightly different in your Bible, but it's thereabouts, 941 in the New Testament section. So that's Matthew chapter 25, and it's verses 31 to the end. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill. And you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger or needing clothes, or ill in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Before I do anything, I'll just put that down before it falls on the floor. Right, um, are we on? Are we all good? Everyone hear me? Yep. Yes? Excellent, that's a good start. Okay, so 
I've been asked to, or I've, I volunteered, dare I say, to, to head up the Close to Home project, uh, where Steve mentioned that some, some months ago now. Um, and today's Close to Home Sunday. So this is an opportunity to, to focus on Close to Home, the project, what that's about, um, and to share a little bit about why that's important to us as a church. So hopefully this should work. Here we go. Sheep, sheep or goats? This is a really strange passage in many respects. It talks about sheep and goats and judgment and darkness and sickness and hunger and nakedness. It's a bit strange, really. But sometimes with a passage like this, it helps to set the context to see what happened beforehand and what happens afterwards. So what is the context here? Well, if we go back to chapter 24, we see what is going on. Jesus has just left the temple, having entered Jerusalem on what we now call Palm Sunday. And here he is speaking to his disciples. And we see in chapter 26 that Jesus is arrested and his trial starts. This is the last time that he has before the crucifixion. And as such, it's a vital interaction with his disciples. In effect, this is the final briefing and planning time to make sure they've got it and are ready for what is coming. Just as in the days before a battle, senior commanders will spend time with their officers, going through what to expect, making sure they get the plan, Jesus is taking time with his disciples to point to the future. This is not the final battle cry of Lawrence Olivier or Kenneth Branner in Henry V or Colonel Tim Collins before Iraq. That comes later. This is the time when they're looking ahead to things that will come and how they need to be prepared. Now, Jesus has taught them the basic bits. He's taught them the easy stuff, like the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor and blessed are the merciful. He's shown them many miracles. He's healed the sick, he's raised the dead, he's set captives free. He's now pointing to the future. And just as we are now in Advent, when we look to Christmas, in these chapters, Jesus is pointing to the second Advent, the Advent of the, his coming again. So what are the sections that we have in our Bible Seems not to be working. Here we go. So what are the sections? Destruction of the temple and the signs of the end of the times. The day and the hour unknown. The parable of the ten virgins. The, the parable of the bags of gold, also known as talents. And the sheep and the goats. All are pointing to the future. All are pointing to the second coming of Christ, the next Advent period. He is showing them how to be prepared, how to live life the practical things they need to be doing in the period leading up to the second coming of Christ. It's like us in this period of leading up to Christmas. We need to get food for Christmas dinner, buy and wrap presents, put up decorations and so on. But Jesus is telling us here how to act and how to be in that period of Advent to the second Advent. Chapter 24 sets out that we will not know the exact time when he will come again. Like the ten virgins, we need to be ready for him to come at any time. There are, these are things that should motivate us, inspire behaviour, and perhaps even at times constrain us. We can take these passages and know that we have a hope of something different in the future, a sure and certain hope. Now the passage talks about judgement of sheep and goats, and that's not something to be scared about, well, not for the Christians anyway. We have salvation. That is a gift from God, and that is secure. Salvation is important when it comes to the judgment seat because we know that's the time when we get to enter heaven. And so it's good to know we have that in the bag, as it were. 
And just as Christians are, salvation is secure, how we all live is also important. The way we use our talents, what we look forward to and, and what we do is important. So we see the pa- in the passage he divides those before him into two groups, those to the left and those to the right. Now, as a left-hander, it always seems a shame that the left-hand side is the losing side, the side for judgment. But that comes from Jewish times, when there were two judges, one to the right of the judgment seat and one to the left. The one on the right recorded the names of the innocent and the left-hand one recorded the names of the guilty. The disciples would have known that. That would have meant something to them. So here in the passage, we have Jesus talking to his disciples about what he will then say to them on Judgment Day. It's a bit like a Doctor Who time travel piece. He's actually telling them what's going to happen to them and what he's going to say to them. We read in the passage from verse 34, Then Jesus will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So here we have Jesus who is rewarding, praising the righteous for the times when we minister to those in need. The needs are varied. We have everything from nakedness to loneliness. And all can do something, perhaps, to help those needs. In effect, when we meet the need of another, we are doing it for Jesus. We're doing it to Jesus. Now, it should be our love that compels us. It can be love for the person who needs it. But actually, it's our love for Jesus that motivates us, for a motivation that lasts. As we serve someone on earth, it's as if we're doing it to and for Jesus. Here at St. Alphage, we have the Close to Home project, and today is Close to Home Sunday. Now, this project came about, to some background, perhaps if you're not aware, as a result of our building project, where as a church, we committed to give away 10% of the monies that we needed to build this church we're in today. Now, that almost seems counterintuitive. We need money, but we're going to give it away. We're going to give 10% away. Almost daft to give away the money we're trying to get. But God honours that sort of giving. And we got the money we needed and we gave away. And we continue to give away. And so Close to Home is about bringing the needs of others closer to home, closer to our home. This is a way that we act, as Jesus described. We feed the hungry, we clothe the naked and visit the sick. What we are doing, we're meeting the need of another. We are giving of ourselves. Now this will have a cost and sometimes that can be financial. But it doesn't have to be money. For example, during the summer, I volunteered to help out at the Soul Survivor Youth event. Now, for 12 days, I unblocked toilets and showers, climbed ladders, erected fencing, hauled gas cylinders so people could have hot showers, and they were hot, some of them, and I made a week for a guy called Mike Pilavacci. Now, whilst that cost me in terms of using my holiday allowance and the sheer physical effort for some of those shifts was 16 hours, it was a joy. Why was it a joy? Well, to see thousands of young people impacted by God was amazing. While literally hundreds came to know him as their saviour, completely awesome. 
In fact, it was the best summer I've had for years. I was prepared to give, and instead God rewarded me with the pleasure of being part of that, allowing me to be part of his team to work with him. This is not about money, though for some it might be. Soul Survivor didn't cost me anything. In fact, I was fed for, for the time I was there, had a bed and shower provided, but the cost was in terms of my time. Getting behind a close-to-home project might come from financial giving or other ways of support or prayer. That's the service. In fact, prayer and support is almost more important than money. Lots of people can give away money. Bill and Melinda Gates have their foundation, which gives away billions of pounds a year. And whilst I don't know what each of them believes, just giving money doesn't make you a Christian. It also needs prayer. And Melinda has spoken about how important prayer is to her and how her kids know not to disturb her when she's praying. Prayer changes things. Most, most often it changes us. It changes our hearts because we spend time with God. We find out what is important to him and realise it should be important to us. He transforms us and the answers are almost a bonus. Some time ago I was driving into work and I um, recently through when I've been singing songs at, at church, some of the fat songs I found quite emotional and I thought, what's happening? Why do I cry during some of the songs now at church? And I felt God say to me, I'm working in your heart. I'm changing your heart. You've had 30 years of seeing some horrendous things, doing, having to go to her horrible places as a police officer. And now I'm softening your heart. Now I'm dealing with your heart and it will get softer and you will start to feel for that. Now whilst I can't go through each of these projects and close to home, probably because I'll be in the floods of tears, but what I want to give you is a flavour of some of them. So that see which one resonates with you and what God might be saying to you. They're grouped in three different sections. We have the local ones, things like food bank, uh, schools work, beach pastors, porch lights, Christians Against Poverty and the Living Well. We've got national ones like the Church Army, the, the Church Pastoral Aid Society, which, gives, which helps people become, uh, understand where their calling is in, 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 in Christian ministry. And we're now supporting Ruth Radley in Church Mission Society uh, in Birmingham. And we've got the international ones, like the grassroots in Romania, uh, Christchurch in Bangkok, which deals with people coming out of Burma, who Carver I'll talk about more in a minute. But we've got education for the children, where some of our church have gone out to Guatemala to see what they're doing to try and help educate people. When we look at the map of the world, you can see how we're spread across the whole globe, literally from east to west. Guatemala in the far west to the Philippines in the far east. These are all parts that are linked to us in Whitstable. I want to give you two stories. One from a national project and one from an international one. The national one comes from the work that Nick Russell does in South East London. Nick works in one of the hardest estates in the, in, the, in the country and is doing an amazing work there. And recently Steve and I met up with him down at, at the vicarage around the corner and he told us about a young lad he was working with. The young lad's was having some emo emotional and behavioural issues. And when they started to get to the bottom of it, it turned out that he was blaming himself. He was feeling guilty for, because he'd failed to stop his mum's boyfriend beating her up. He'd hidden in the bathroom and felt ashamed. That kid, less than 10 years old, needs to realise he's loved by God, who forgives him and will be with him whatever life throws at him. Now, whilst I might not knowingly come into contact with such young people, I can support Nick through prayer 
and perhaps financially. So he and I together can be the hands and feet of Christ, but it needs to impact on my heart. The other story comes from my time as a police officer. During that time, I went to a lot of refugee camps. Uh, one of the camps I went to was in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and that's the one that impacted me the most. Now, this isn't me. This is one of my colleagues, but you, I, because suddenly I've got, he's got no hair. I've got lots of hair. Um, but you can see the conditions there that that, that we're in the camp. We're standing there. Uh, the ground is rock hard, literally, because it's all volcanic rock. And they, so they can't dig into the rock at all. In fact, it was so sharp and hard that it punctured one of the tyres of our, our armoured vehicles there. It was that, that hard, the ground. But those kids there have nothing. We couldn't actually give anything to those children, because if we did, we'd have been swamped, as that guy there. That was just some of the kids that came out to see us. Just because we were white and we went to their camp, they came to see us. They couldn't give, we couldn't give them anything. If we did, we would, we, they would be swamped completely and we couldn't do our primary job to look after Mr. Haig. What we watched is, is actually one of the guys at another camp did give one of the kids some sweets and then watched as progressively larger kids beat up the smaller kids to take the sweets off them. What hit me was when I was standing in the camp on the day I took this photograph. I was there with my boots on, my tactical trousers, my waterproof jacket, as it was raining quite hard and a little kid came up next to me he was about 18 months old, and all he had on was a T-shirt. He stubbed his toe, because I said the ground there is quite sharp and nasty, and he started crying, and his sister came to pick him up. When I say pick him up, she put him on her back, because she was only five or six, and she walked off into the camp, and I just didn't see them again. Life expectancy in that part of the DRC is about one in six. One in six won't meet, uh, make their fifth birthday. Well, what's our connection to the Congo? Middle of Africa, what is our connection? Well, one of those dots is the Bible school in the east of the Congo, where we support Bishop Sylvester, as he ministers to the diocese that includes the camp that I visited. And what was amazing was the weekend after I came back from there, he was here at St. Alphage. So what does he do in that camp? You can see how awful it is. So they're building a Bible school. And we've been contributing to that, the building a Bible school. That's a photograph of the Bible school in Pansy. That's their graduation ceremony from the, from the, of the graduates. So these are people that are being trained and taught to spread the gospel. And they've got a youth event as well. That's their young people gathered around learning about the gospel. But this is something else they do there because actually rape and abuse against women is, is horrendously prevalent in the east of the DRC. So these are women who are being taught life skills of how to get to cope without having been raped and abused, often at the hands of the soldiers and the police of that, of that country. This is what we're doing. You are connected to what's going on out here. So what about practical application? Well, firstly, the question that we need to answer is, are you a sheep or a goat? Now, why did Jesus use these two animals? Well, at the time, people would have seen a lot of sheep and goats. We don't really get to see them in Whitswell High Street. And so most of them would have had an idea what the difference is between them. But our culture, doesn't, we don't see that. We're not so aware. But let me describe them to you. Because goats are described as being independent, opinionated, and curious at best, or vulgar, dangerous, and destructive at worst. They're also known as, as Jack Russells with hooves. 
A herd of goats goes where it wants, and the goat herd follows behind. Instead of grousing, oh, uh, bra- grousing, instead of grazing, goats browse, foraging for whatever strikes their fancy. They're impulsive, unpredictable, devious, and contrary. When they are grazing, it's not unusual to see several of them with their heads through a fence, strained to reach the grass that is always green on the other side. So what about sheep? Sheep have a flock mentality. They tend to follow the voice of their shepherd and trust him to lead them to food, water and safety. If they wander, which some of them do do, the shepherd will go out and rescue them, bring them back to the safety of the flock. Why? Because sheep separate from their shepherd and the flock are nervous and they're vulnerable. They have no defensive and offensive survival abilities at all. That's why you don't see wild sheep, you don't see wild goats. So you can see why Jesus would use the difference between the two. It's not because he had a downer on Billy Groat Gruff and preferred Sean the sheep. He knew the character of sheep and goats and he wants us to follow him. And in return, he'll protect us and care for us. Shepherds protect sheep from, the, from their environment, whereas goat herds protect the environment from the goats. So if you're not a sheep, you can do all the good works there are and you're still a goat, and you will still go to the left. But if you become a sheep, if you become a Christian, if you accept Jesus as your saviour, then you will get the reward for the good works that you do. You will get life now and forever. But what about for those of you who are already sheep? Which close-to-home project could you get behind? Which one could you pray for? Let God impact your heart for one of them. There are many projects, so which one are you drawn to? Better to focus on one or two than try to pray for them all. For some it might be financial giving and that would be great. But it's also about service. It might be helping out a sole survivor and you haven't got to unblock toilets and do showers. You can serve coffees, you can work in the kitchen, you can do nice things like that. Or it could be working with the third age work that's being led by Chris. Service is the key, not our position or our status. Now, I'm building, work, uh, building connections with all the close-to-home projects so we can hear about what they're doing and how we can pray for them. And there are sign-up sheets at the back if you want email updates for all the projects that I've got connections with already. And as we start to get more information, I can feed that out to you. Another option is to do something practical for the Advent period. I found a couple of things on the internet which we can do. One is the reverse Advent calendar, where you put a thing in the box each day between the start of Advent, which is now, and Christmas, and it gets given to someone, a family, who needs it before Christmas. Here at St Alfred, we'll be doing that, starting this week, but ending the Sunday before Christmas, the Sunday of the shaky legs, so during the week before Christmas, we can give them out. But there's no point giving them out on Christmas Eve. People have already been worried by then. Let's give them out early so they can see, thank you. So what am I talking about? Well, it could be you put four tins of baked beans in. That's four days. It might be you can only afford to do two or three days or four or five days. That's fine. Just do something. It might be you put two kitchen rolls in for two days or a roll of cling film for another day. If you put in a tin of quality street, yeah, that could technically cover you the whole 30 days of Christmas of, of Advent. And don't worry about trying to make sure it's a balanced diet. We'll, if there's someone who's got no vegetables in there, we'll try and help them there. But it can be anything. It could be a jar of pump soap. Anything to help that family between Christmas and New Year. The aim is that we deliver them to local people. And if we get enough, I want to take some to Nick in South East London because the need there is huge. 
Now, another variation is the Bible Society Advent Challenge. And you can sign up to that. I'll just show you, hopefully, a video clip of what that means. It's quite weird being this side of the technology rather than that side of the technology. <laughs> now I know what it feels like. <laughs> As you trying to ad-lib. I can tell the story about where my mother-in-law gave me a copy of the music. Fancy a challenge this Christmas? As the countdown to the big day begins, why not take on Advent Challenge? One act of kindness for each day of Advent, all inspired by the Bible. It's simple. Throughout Advent, we'll email you every day with three challenges. Pick one and get going. You could be buying someone flowers, babysitting, or even just giving a smile. Every time you complete a challenge, you'll be bringing the Bible to life for those around you. So sign up today at adventchallenge.org.uk, hashtag adventchallenge. Bringing the Bible to life this Advent. Excellent. So to summarise, Jesus calls us to be his sheep to minister to those in need as he did. It can change your life as well as the lives of those you meet. It can transform. Now if you want to speak to someone about becoming a sheep, then grab someone who you think might be able to help you. And if they can't, then perhaps both of you need to find someone who can, keep, who can help you. And keep going until you find someone who can. To summarise, be a sheep. Do good works and get a reward. Be the difference. Be part of bringing God's kingdom. Be part of close to home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you will speak to those who do not know you as their shepherd. Let them hear your voice and come to that place where they can know you as their saviour and Lord. And I ask that you impact our hearts so that we in turn can be an impact to the world that needs your love so desperately. Amen.